As the children head out to uh, primary church, let's open our Bibles again to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3. This morning we're continuing our study through the book of Proverbs, and uh, it's a privilege I have to preach today Proverbs 3, and then Lord willing, next week, uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Thank you for singing out. Your ministry on Sundays includes the ministry of teaching and admonishing one another through song. So thank you for doing that. And if you are sitting there thinking, I didn't really sing out, you'll get an opportunity to do it after our sermon. So I hope you will. Let's pray one more time. Father, we do continue to ask uh, that you would teach us through your word. You'd open our eyes to see the wondrous things out of your law. That you would speak until this church, your church, is built and the whole earth is filled with your glory. We pray this uh, for your glory. And we also know that your glory is our greatest good. In Jesus' name, amen. The year is 1881. It's early fall here in Lapeer County. This area and the, and the regions north of us have suffered through several months of extreme drought and heat. Almost every stream is dried up. Many wells have run dry. They're empty. So the conditions are ripe for disaster. And disaster came on September 4th, 1881. What's now known as the Great Thumb Fire swept through Lapeer County, Tuscola, Sanilac, Huron, St. Clair counties. It's estimated that over 300 people were killed, almost 4,000 buildings destroyed, around 15,000 people left homeless overnight. Absolutely devastating. Over a million acres were burned, and hundreds of thousands of those acres held crops that farmers had planted, counting on the harvest to provide for themselves and for their families for the coming year. And within 48 hours, virtually everything was wiped out, destroyed. That was September 1881. What do you think farmers who were able to stay in the area, what do you think they did six months later? in spring of 1882. They bought seeds, they tilled the ground, and they planted crops. Why? Because farmers know the law of sowing and reaping. If you don't sow, you won't reap. If you sow, you will reap. Yes, there are exceptions, right? There are exceptions like the great thumb fire or drought or disease unusually low yields, locusts, stock market crash. There are exceptions, but the exceptions prove the rule. The rule is, if you want to reap, you must sow. And in time, those who sow will reap. This third chapter of Proverbs is is all about sowing and reaping. Maybe you noticed that as you perhaps read it this past week in preparation for today. Here we have a wise father, and this wise father has experienced many more years of life than his son. And yes, he's experienced some unusual circumstances where, where the reaping is delayed, right? Where, where the crops are, are destroyed. But he's also experienced enough of life to know that those are the exceptions that prove the rule. 
That God established this law of sowing and reaping in his wise created world. And so the wise father wants his children to rightly order their lives around the way that God ordered life. He wants his children to, to learn and so live rather than simply living and learning. If you're taking notes, we have five points this morning. And we're, we'll spend a lot more time on the first two than the last three. Okay, the first point comes from the first section here, verses 1 through 12. And here's the point. True wisdom starts with God. True wisdom starts with God. So there may be a type of wisdom that we might call earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom that God in his common grace allows people to, to gain or experience. But it's, it's not true wisdom if it's disconnected from God. In this first, this first section, these 12 verses, we have quite a pattern. Maybe you notice this pattern. The, the odd-numbered verses give us commands, and the even-numbered verses give us motivations for those commands. So here's a quick summary of what you'll reap if you sow. From verse 2, you'll reap a long and peaceful life. From verse 4, you'll reap favor with God and others. Verse 6, the motivation is protective guidance from God. Verse 8, the motivation is physical health, healing. Verse 10, the motivation is material prosperity. And verse 12, the motivation is God's faithful love. Do you want those things? I hope you're motivated by those things because God gives them to us as motivation. Now, they are reaped by those who, who sow. And what do, what do we sow? We're supposed to sow the commands in the odd numbers verses. So here are the six commands. First, verse 1, the command is do not forget. Don't forget this teaching that this wise father has been passing down to his son. But instead, middle of verse 1, let your heart keep. Don't forget, but instead keep. Who's good at forgetting? Yeah. We lose track of things all the time, right? Just go by our church's lost and found. There are all sorts of things that we have forgotten that we haven't kept. This verse is a call to active remembering, to keeping. So, so maybe that means as you hear God's word taught, maybe that means taking notes and then and then reviewing them throughout the week. Maybe that means taking your bulletin home and where we have discussion questions each week. Maybe that means going over those questions and talking over them with, with family members. But true wisdom starts with God. He's revealed it to us in his word. It's up to us to, to actively remember it and, and to keep. Verse 3 then gives the second command. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Or as I paraphrase it, cling, cling, hold on, cling to God's steadfast love, his faithful love. You see, Solomon knew Exodus 34 where God identifies himself as a God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Solomon knew Deuteronomy 6 where God commanded his people to, to teach the commands to the children. And so what's Solomon doing? He's, he's teaching his son. He's saying, cling to God's steadfast love. Write them on the tablet of your heart, he says. 
So we've seen two commands so far. Two ways we, we ought to sow if we want to reap these, these blessings, the motivations in this passage. The third command is in verse 5. You probably can quote verse 5, can't you? Trust in the Lord. That's the command. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Verse 5 lays out these, these two options for life. We like to think there are many different ways to live. Proverbs makes it clear there's really only two ways to live. You either trust in the Lord or you lean on yourself. Those are the options. So that means this morning in this room, we all fit into one of those two categories. We either are trusting the Lord or we're leaning on our own understanding. The idea here is is placing all of your confidence, all of your trust on the faithful, loving trustworthy God rather than on on the way you might think through things or or perceive things I want you to picture uh, an exhausted climber so he's making his way up the the side of this mountain and there's a cliff right next to him and as he gets near the top he's he's exhausted he's panting he's tired and there's a little place a little ledge here where he can pause and, and catch his breath and regain his strength for the the last little trek up to the summit and, and on the one side, he can use a, a dead tree branch to, to hold himself up. He can lean on that over the cliff. On the other side, he can lean up against the mountain. Which should he do? One leads to destruction. One leads to, to safety. The writer of Proverbs here, he, he's saying, you can lean on your own understanding, but, it, but it's, it's going to destroy you. It will destroy you. If you don't acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, then he won't make straight your paths. All your ways acknowledge him. What does this mean? Does this mean just simply like verbally acknowledge like the Lord reigns and and Jesus uh, is in my life? It's more than that. It means to experientially know, like to actually know God. And for us here, it means to know God through Jesus. And not simply with our words or on Sundays, but to know him in in all of our lives. To acknowledge him in all of our ways. I was meditating this week on on why why these verses are favorites of many of of us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I I believe one one reason that these two verses are so well-loved by Christians is that I think in these four lines, these two verses contain four lines of, of poetry. In these four lines, you see, you see something of a description of salvation, don't you? How does one come to Christ? Well, well we turn and we trust, right? So we trust in the Lord. We, are, we put our full faith in him with, with all of our heart. Not just our words, but with all of our heart. And we, and we turn from leaning on ourselves. We turn from relying on our own understanding. So if you're here this morning and you're not in the, in the category of people who trust in the Lord, but instead you're in the category of those who, who trust in themselves, then to turn from, from your own understanding and trust in the Lord is simple as that. You, you decide, I'm not going to rely on, on my perception of life. I'm not going to rely on my effort. I'm not going to rely on, on what I think is right. I'm going to trust in the Lord. 
I'm going to trust that what he has said and what he has done is the way to everlasting joy and is the only way to to really know him, third line, to really acknowledge him, know him in in all my ways. And so I'm going to turn and trust in the Lord through the way that, that he's established, which is his son, Jesus Christ. So we, we turn, line one, and we trust, I'm sorry, we, we trust line one, we turn, line two, line three, we, we know him through Jesus, and if that happens for you, then, line four, he will guide you. He will provide for you. He will guide you both now and into eternity. He will make your paths straight. Now, this doesn't mean that he will always give you everything you want. But what it does mean is that he will ensure that everything in your life is for your ultimate good. So, my friend, if, if you're here this morning and, and you haven't turned from relying on yourself to trust in the Lord, do it now. Even while I'm talking, do it now. Turn from self-reliance, turn from your own understanding, and, and trust in the Lord. And there are people all around you in this building who know these verses and maybe you'd like to talk with them afterward about what it, what it means to trust in the Lord. They probably have this verse memorized. And you can say, can you help me know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 mean? I, I want to turn from my own understanding, my, myself, reliance on me. I want to trust in the Lord. Would you help me? If you can't find anybody else to talk through that with you, I'll be in the back and some other leaders from our church. And we'd love to help you turn and trust. Verse 7 gives us command number 4. Fear the Lord. We've, we've seen this already, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But before it says fear the Lord, what does it say in verse 7? It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. I think this is a particular temptation for those of us who are trying to grow in wisdom. We look back and we think, ah, I think I'm wiser than I was last year. I mean, through our Proverbs series, I think I'm wiser than I was last month. And we have this temptation to consider ourselves to be wise, to consider ourselves to be the source of wisdom even. But don't be wise in your own eyes. Instead, fear the Lord. What does fear of the Lord look like? It looks like turning from evil. Turning from evil. Next command, command number five, verse nine, honor the Lord. Yes, we are to honor him with all of our lives. And here the specific emphasis is to honor him with our wealth. Do you consider yourself to be wealthy? I bet you if I asked you to raise your hand. How many of you think of yourself as wealthy? Very few hands would go up. But the the command here isn't honor the Lord if you're wealthy. The command here is to honor the Lord with the wealth that you have, with whatever wealth you have. Now, we can look at statistics of Americans' income versus the income of the world, and we could come to a pretty reasonable conclusion that virtually all of us are wealthy by that standard. But again, that's not the point. The point is, whatever you have, whatever wealth you have, honor the Lord with it. So this certainly includes giving to his work through the local church. Let's just be real honest. If if you're a member or a regular attender of, of this church, It's your responsibility, it's our responsibility to support the ministry of our church. You can do that online, you can do that with the box at the lobby, but that's our responsibility. That's one way we honor the Lord with whatever wealth we have. Later on in our chapter, we'll see some other ways that we ought to honor the Lord by blessing others with with whatever wealth we have, if we have the ability. 
Now, the danger, the danger, at least in my heart, is to turn verses 9 and 10 into a formula for selfish gain, isn't it? Look at verse 10. Man, if, if we do verse 9, if we sow verse 9, we're going to reap verse 10. But the command is to honor the Lord. It follows, of course, the command to fear the Lord and trust the Lord. So the Lord is not some vending machine to, to invest in. If I do this, then I'll get this for myself. No, there, there is blessing. There, there's reaping for those who consistently sow a life of wisdom. That means honoring and fearing and trusting the Lord. Wealth is not the goal of life. Wealth is simply one of the blessings that those who are wise will reap in God's time and in God's way. Now, sometimes God chooses to bless his children who, who sow wisdom with financial prosperity. Sometimes God chooses to bless his children who sow wisdom with financial ruin. Think of God's servant Job. If you're like me, you're wondering why. Like why would why would God treat his people that way? Why would God delay the the reaping of sowing wisdom? Why would God send the great thumb fire for all those farmers who faithfully planted their crops in eighteen eighty one? Why? Well the passage gives us at least one answer. Look at verse eleven. My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for or because the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you are sowing wisdom, that means you're trusting in the Lord with all your heart. You're going to trust that his ways are best. Even his ways that that don't line up with with your wants. Even his ways that really aren't fun in the moment. But if we trust in the Lord, we trust that that he is right. And he always does what is best because he loves us, verse 12. He loves perfectly. Better than earthly parents love our children. And there are certainly times when our kids will ask us for certain things and we'll say no or not yet out of love for them. And there are times when God will tell us, not yet or, or no, because, because he loves us. I think a second way to answer that question, or a second part of the answer, is found in, in the next few verses. And that is because there's things more important in life than money. There are things more important in life than, than financial prosperity. Sometimes God allows difficulty to give us something far more valuable. So the next point, or the second point of of our sermon, found in verses 13 through 20, true wisdom is invaluable. True wisdom is invaluable. This next section, it begins and ends with blessing. Maybe you noticed that as you read it, or as you heard Caleb read it earlier. Verse 13 says, blessed, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Look at the end of verse 18. Those who hold her fast are called blessed here we have the the lady wisdom personified again right this lady who in chapter one she calls out saying come follow wisdom now we return to lady wisdom and we have this value did you notice as we read uh 
earlier, verse 14, there's a comparison being made. So it's almost like Solomon wants us to think of scales. You've seen these like old-fashioned scales, right? Maybe in a, in a courthouse setting or something, you might see uh, the scales. When I was young growing up, we'd have maybe kids' ministries in our church, and we'd have a penny drive, and you try to you have this scale, and you put pennies in the bucket, right? So you know what I'm talking about. So Solomon has this scale, and he's got wisdom on this side. And first he says, okay, on this side we're going to put silver, and, and wisdom is better. And then he puts on this side, okay, something, something better than silver, something like gold. And what does he say? Wisdom's better. And then he puts precious jewels over here, and he says wisdom's better. And then at the end of, of verse 15, it's almost like Solomon just says, get rid of the scale. Nothing you can desire can compare with her. You can't even compare. Like, stop comparing. Stop trying to weigh if wisdom's better than these other precious commodities. You can't even compare. It's invaluable. What is it that you want in life? What is it that you want today? What is it that you want most? Wisdom is more valuable than that. Not even to be compared with whatever you desire. But do we actually believe that? Do we actually believe Proverbs 3, verse 15, that nothing we desire can even compare with God's wisdom? God's wisdom promises blessing, right? They're sowing and reaping. But the blessing of God's wisdom comes to those who put in the work of sowing. So all throughout this chapter, we've seen that there's this call to effort in getting wisdom. We saw it last week in chapter 2, right? Seek, search for wisdom like, like a miner digging for gold. Now here in chapter, thre- uh, chapter 3, we, we already had verse 1. Don't forget, but keep it. Here in verse 13, we have the person who finds it, the one who gets it. Verse 18, those who lay hold or grasp wisdom, then we're called to hold it fast. Verse 21, don't lose sight, keep. So words like seek and search and find and get and grasp and hold fast and don't lose sight and keep. Do you see the work of sowing wisdom? What are you doing to get this invaluable commodity that can't even be compared to whatever you desire? We usually get what we want, don't we? If we really want something, we'll we'll get up early to get that thing. We'll stay up late to get that thing. We'll plan for that thing. We'll prepare for that thing. We'll persevere through obstacles for whatever that thing is. You'll say no to comfort and convenience. You'll do whatever it takes to get that thing that is most valuable to you. Right? Like the character in this year's Christmas program. You'll, you'll get rid of everything if you have to, to get what you prize most. So what are you doing to get God's wisdom? What are you doing to, to cling to it? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work. It's not something to be just passively received. It's, it has to be actively found and gotten and held on to. Have any of you ever tried to catch a chicken? What an odd thing to ask at this point in the sermon, right? 
A few years ago, uh, my, my in-laws, they moved into a new house, and the previous owners of the house had had chickens, and they had done their best to move the chickens to the new location, but they'd left a few. And so my brother and I were tasked with catching two chickens, and we were more than happy to try, right? <laughs> well, first you have to find the chickens. So they're under the deck, or they run behind the bushes, or in the bushes, and so you've got to find them, and then you've got to get to them. You've you got to get close, and when you get close, you've got to grab them. You've got, you got, you got to grab that chicken, and that chicken does not want to be grabbed. And so you cling to it. You hold it fast. You don't let go. You keep it. You watch it. Make sure you don't lose sight of it. Now, the good news is that God's wisdom is not trying to get away from you like a chicken. It's, it's right here. It's right here. So, so find it and go get it. And keep it. Don't lose sight of it. Our third point comes from verses 21 through 26. 21 through 26. Number three, true wisdom brings blessing. True wisdom brings blessing. As I mentioned, we'll go more quickly through the rest of this chapter You see the truths here that are repeated? So in verse 1, we had don't forget. Now in verse 21, we have don't lose sight. Verse 1, we have let your heart keep. Verse 21, we have keep sound wisdom and discretion. Trust in the Lord, verse 5. Here in verse 26, confidence. The Lord will be your confidence. See the blessings of wisdom in this passage? Verse 22, wisdom is going to be life for your soul. Verse 23, you will reap security, safety. Verse 24, look at it. You're going to reap peaceful sleep. Oh, what wouldn't you give for a night of restful sleep? Verse 25, you're going to reap peace, no fear. These blessings of wisdom come to those who do the work of sowing wisdom. As we move to the next section, beginning of verse 27 down through verse 32, point number four, true wisdom blesses others. True wisdom blesses others. Some of us like specificity, right? Maybe you know some of the, some of the big important commands of scripture, like love God, love others. Maybe you understand the importance of a command like, like do right or something like, Make Christ first in your life. But you ever sometimes get a little frustrated with like big, general, vague things like that? Like you want specifics? Well, you're going to love this passage. It gets really specific. Earlier we had commands like trust in the Lord and fear the Lord and honor the Lord. And maybe you're thinking, I wish I had something specific. Here we go. Verse 27. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it. Can you help your neighbor today? Then do it. Verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 28, don't delay this. Don't withhold good, verse 27, from from those to whom it's due when you can do it. This is really specific. Do you have people who live near you? Do you have people your, your life intersects with and you can do good for them? God says, do it. Don't wait. We as a church, we designate some weekends of the year as love your neighbor weekends. The next one is is in March. This verse would say, don't wait till March. 
Do it today. That's pretty specific. Verse 29, here's a specific command. Don't plan to do evil against your neighbor. Earlier in verse 7, the command was to turn away from evil. Well, if you claim to be turning away from evil while planning to do evil, then you're not really trusting and honoring the Lord. You're not going to reap the, the health that comes. Maybe you're like, Pastor Kevin, you do not know my neighbor. I may not. I may not, but God does. But God does. And he says to do good and to not plan evil. We have a couple more do not commands in this, in this passage here. Sometimes uh, as parents, do you, ever, do you ever feel like you're saying no all the time? Like, don't do that. No, no, stop. No, stop. Don't do that. Okay, let's be honest. Kids, do you ever get tired of hearing no all the time? Right? Sometimes no is the path of wisdom. So keep reading in, in chapter 3. Do not, verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason. Don't do it. Don't be contentious. Or as Romans 12 would say, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't be contentious. Verse 31, don't envy violent people. Don't wish you had their life. Why? Well, look at what they sow in verse 32. What do the violent people sow? The devious person? They're an abomination to the Lord. The last three verses of this chapter, you can summarize it with this fifth point. True wisdom understands sowing and reaping. True wisdom understands sowing and reaping. The lines here are very clear. There are two ways to live. If you live foolishly, look at what verses 33 through 35 say that you will sow. Verse 33, you'll receive the Lord's curse if you live wickedly. Verse 34, you'll receive the Lord's scorn. Verse 35, you'll get disgrace. But instead, those who, those who live wisely, those who sow wisdom, verse 33, will receive God's blessing. And 34, receive his favor. And 35, receive honor. So we study a chapter like this and, and we understand why, why God would inspire the Apostle Paul later on to write, don't be deceived. If I could paraphrase it for you today, don't think that the laws of sowing and reaping don't apply to you. Don't think about your neighbor and say, yeah, they apply to him or her, but, but not to me. No, Paul says in Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life. Two ways to live. Sow wisdom, reap God's blessing. Sow foolishness, reap his curse. Let's pray together. Even right now, before I pray aloud, I'll give us just a, a moment of quiet. Maybe you'll pray quietly in response to, to this portion of God's word. This is an opportunity for us to respond to what God has spoken to us in the Bible.
Father, we thank you for the blessing that you promise, the happiness that you promise to those who who trust you. So help us to trust you. Help us to obey these commands. Help us to trust you when when it seems like we're not reaping what, what we've actually sown. Help us to trust you that your timing is best, your way is always right. Help us to trust you that you send correction and reproof because, because you love us. And Father, help us to trust you that, that sowing wisdom will result in your blessing. Father, help us to trust and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.